in Job, the 23rd chapter and the 10th verse, we're hearing a testimony of a champion and he has the right attitude. And this is what Job says. He says, but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Job lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost all of his possessions. He lost everything. But he said, when God's tested me out of this, I'm going to come out as pure as gold. I'm going to be refined by the fire. I'm not going to be taken out by the fire. So I want to talk to you this morning about what's with that attitude. Notice I'm pointing my finger. What's with that attitude? Lord, thank you today that we're going to have great attitudes in this room. Attitudes that will determine our destiny and our altitude when it comes to the things of God. Let our lives be reflective in our disposition and let our destinies be fulfilled because you put us in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. You can turn to your neighbor on the left and say, you're really good looking. Turn to the neighbor on the right and say, I like you. It's funny. I want you to think about something this morning. And I like Pat. Give Pat a round of applause. I really like Pat. And he's good looking. He's a really good looking fella. He's really good looking. He has a great sense of humor. If you get to know Pat, he's funny like me. I think there's something to be said about a test. You know, the enemy will always tempt us. He'll tempt us. That's why the Bible says there's no temptation that's given to men that's common. In other words, every temptation, God's already overcame and he's already accomplished it. And he's, and he's given us the victory over that temptation. But you have to realize the enemy will tempt you, but God will allow the testing. God will test you. The enemy will tempt you. Anytime you hear the word test in the Bible, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it deals with the 10th. The 10 is the numerical value of testing. Anytime there's a 10 in the Bible, it's really referring to a testing. There's an interesting scripture in the New Testament that talks about ruling and reigning with Christ in heavenly places. It talks about this life that we're going to live after this world about ruling and reigning with Christ in, in kingdom places, in heavenly places. You rule and reign is, is something that's important because you can't rule and reign over things unless you're above them. Unless you're above them because you have to rule and reign over them. And that's important because you have to have somebody to rule and reign over if you're going to rule and reign with Christ in heavenly places. Remember what Jesus said about being ruler over a certain amount of cities. He said, if you're a good steward of life, this life, I'll make you a ruler in the next one over multiple cities. Again, ruling and reigning. The Bible says, by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, a gift of God, not by our works, so we can't boast about it. So in other words, we're not saved by our works. You didn't come here today because you worked yourself into salvation. That's religion. That's, that's man's doing. That's organized religion. Do this, do this, do this. You'll come into a place of justification, salvation, and freedom. You do not do anything to obtain salvation unless you believe. Once you believe, you're saved. The Bible says, he that believeth have life, and he that believeth not is dead already. So to be a person that's born anew, that's going to heaven, you just simply have to believe. Do I have any believers in the house this morning? So we established that it's not by works that we're saved. But we're not saved because of our works, but we are saved to do the work. 
to do the work of the Lord and to occupy until he comes. I believe the testing in this life will determine the ruling and reigning in the next life. The testing of what we do in this earth when we're faced with adversity, when we're faced with difficulty, when we're faced with uncertainty of life, with trauma and situations and all the stuff comes against us. How we live here will determine how we rule and reign up there. Not that we're going to earn our way to heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying what you do here will matter up there. And it's all about having the right attitude. I believe the difference in life between obstacles and opportunity is one bridge. The bridge called attitude. Because every opportunity has difficulty and every difficulty has opportunity in it. You know what life is like? It's like a grindstone. Whether that grindstone polishes you or takes you down to dust really depends on what we're made of. Do you know a grindstone will flash a diamond until the diamond shines with radiance and fire because of the character of a diamond? Any good woman that gets the ring on her finger will immediately have the diamond checked. You want to see if it's a cubic zirconia, especially if it's bigger than usual. And you want to see if that diamond is the real thing. Am I the only one that gets the suspicion? you got to make sure, ladies, that what the man's putting on the, the finger is the real deal. It's like life, whether life will grind you up down to dust. But if it's not cubic zirconia, if it's the real diamond, it's going to buff you and shine you because what's in you is the real deal. You see, God never manufactures junk. And he doesn't sponsor flops. And when he puts you in this battle called life, you're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. The Bible says, think it not strange, the fiery trials that you're going through, like some strange thing that's happened. These are a proving of the test. This is only a test that you will come out of this thing purer than gold. It's about a test because if it buffs you, it doesn't reduce you down. It shines you, not like a fake cubic zirconia but like a real diamond. The Bible says he that are, are people of faith will be like diamonds shining in the night. What God's saying in effect is when I put the test on you, my son, my daughter will shine brighter than ever before. They will pass the test. They will pass it. But some people, think about this, they reject this concept of victory coming through trials and tribulation. But to do so is to reject the pure truth of the Word of God. Because Jesus suffered. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says he was a son talking about Jesus. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 2 Timothy 3.12 says all of us who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Wasn't it Joseph who came through a pit that his brothers threw him in? Talk about a test. Joseph in the Old Testament was thrown into the pit. But the Bible says that he still had a good disposition, a good attitude. After he was thrown into the pit, he was sold to the Midianites as a price of a slave. And there he was sold to Potiphar's house. Potiphar put him in the house as one of the slave hired hands. And Potiphar's wife, she had a, she had a little issue going on. She tried to seduce Joseph and he literally ran out the room, left his coat there. She screamed a false accusation, had him locked up in prison for many years. 
It's one thing to be thrown into the pit by your own brothers. It's another thing now. You're doing the will of God. You're doing a good thing with a good attitude, and you get falsely accused. Now you're thrown into the penitentiary. It's enough to give you a bad attitude. It's enough to make you start mad-dogging the warden when he comes by. It's enough to make you acting like you're all that in a bag of chips ready to take on the world if they would just let you out of these bars. But not Joseph. Joseph knew that what was inside him was greater than the circumstances around him. He knew that there had to be something within him that can endure the test, that can endure the struggle, that can endure. And you know why he endured that? Because God gave him a dream. Every one of you at the sound of my voice, if you got alone with God, God, he would put you to a place of remembrance of your divine dream, of that thing that he's called only you to do, that dream, that vision, that, that accomplishment that he's put inside of you. The Bible says he's put eternity in all of our hearts. There's not a man, there's not a woman in this room or watching by the way of the internet that will go before the judgment seat of Christ and say, nobody told me. God says, I told you. I put eternity in in your heart. Remember when you were smaller and you started thinking about God or the things of God? God's put eternity in your heart. It's called vision. It's called dreams. And you never let those things go. You need to cultivate them with a good attitude. Joseph came through the slanderous rape of Potiphar's wife. The charge, this man's a criminal. No good. From the dungeon of a pure hell, he became the second most powerful man on the planet next to Pharaoh. How did he become that? I can tell you how in the day of his trial his character and his attitude held him to the destiny he truly had so here's the fifty thousand dollar question why do men and women do what they do they do what they do because they are who they are joseph had true grit he had fortitude he had a good attitude he rode the winds of adversity to his highest pinnacle of success it was moses who herded sheep on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years he was listed as public enemy number 1 in egypt his picture was plastered on every post office in egypt most wanted man in all of egypt public enemy number 1 but it was God who sent him thundering back, the place of his failure, the place of his defeat. It was God who sent him back there. Are you able to keep a good attitude if God sends you back to the place that you failed the most? Are you able to keep a good disposition in the midst of your ex? You know what, girlfriend? You know what, boyfriend? Are you able to keep a good disposition in the midst of your worst failure, in the midst of your betrayal? It was God who sent him thundering back into Egypt's place, face and he said let my people go what's the point God uses nobody until he puts you in the blast furnace and begins to test you to see what you're made of and if he puts you in the fire and you start whining oh my god how dare God do this to me I'm not gonna serve God anymore wah, 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 wah. but no no if he puts you in the fire and you say like Job turn it up and when it gets to the top I'll still be here serving and worshiping him I won't quit I won't bend I won't bow I'll serve the Lord no matter what comes my way. The problem is, many of us, we have that good start. We say, man, I'm going to do good, Joey. I'm going to do good. But then when adversity comes, when trials come, when things don't go our way, we immediately shrink back. And we say, well, God, that must not have been real. God must not be for me. Oh, that just must have been talk from the minister. That's just talk what I hear on television with people. That's other people's lies. I knew that was too good to be true. But you have to understand, circumstances should never dictate to you. You should dictate to your circumstances.
God knows what you're going through. He knows your upbringing. He knows what you're going through. He knows your tribulations. The word tribulation really translates better suffering. And there's this false concept going around that if you live by faith, you'll never suffer. You'll never go through anything. I had a horrible uh, reading recently of a minister that he's, he's battling sickness in his body. And as a result of battling in sickness in his body and he's not receiving his, his, what he thinks is his healing on this earth, now he's going through a diatribe of all the great men and women of God in the scriptures and in the writings of, of old that, that didn't get their healing on this earth. And he's trying to build a case of, of you shouldn't proclaim healing and you shouldn't speak healing. And, and, and my thought is I would rather attempt to do something great for God and fail at it than do nothing and succeed at it. So in other words, we can't let our tribulation say, oh, this stuff doesn't work anymore. I'm going through something. I've got sickness in my body. This word must be for them, but not for me. God knows your tribulation. God knows what it means to stay in faith, to stay trusting him. He knows what you're going through. It's better terminology is suffering. He knows your suffering. And there's this concept, man, if, I, if I'm doing good, I'm living in faith, I'm trusting God, I'm coming to church, I shouldn't really have to go through these things. But that's not true. That's not unscript. That's unscriptural. I want you to look at those who were in the perfect will of God, but yet they went through things. They suffered things. Wasn't it Jesus, our Savior, who suffered? Hebrews 5 and 8, you can't get away from that verse. Though he were a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The Bible says all who live in Christ Jesus. That means young, old, rich, poor, first century, 21st century, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That means they'll go through stuff. Listen to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. This is for people for a deeper understanding of God. It says, do not be afraid of the things that you are about to suffer. I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. There's that word test again. That's a tenth. And those ten days, and to put, it says those, the enemy will put you in prison to test you. And you'll be in bondage, it says, if you go down the verse, for ten days. Now, those 10 days are not 10 24-hour periods. When you read that to the church, these are letters to the church. And there are seven letters. Remember, numerical value in Scripture is important. Seven is the number of completion. Ten is the number of test. Why is that important? Because all the churches in Revelation are representing our lives, the past life, the present life, and the future life of God's church. God's church is not a denomination. God's church is not a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Assembly of God or non-denominational. God's church is every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. It's every church. And when people start saying, we're the only church, and we're this church, and, you know, that's just, that's, that's silly talk. But I want you to understand, he's, he's taking on all the dimensions of his body in Revelation. And in every church, all seven of them means completion, he has something against them. One of them is called the church that lacked its first love. It lost its first love. There's another church that, that let the world get in and the systems of this world. It, it was called Jezebel. It, remained, it talked about the systems of this world and, and let relying on man and the system of Jezebel, this whole religious system to taint what God wanted to do. But another church was called Smyrna. And the reason why I say that, because it says, don't be afraid of the things you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. 
and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What's important about that testing of the 10, those are not 10 24-hour periods. You still with me? Two of you. The rest of you catch up. Those are not 10 24-hour periods. Those are 10 periods of persecution, meaning 10 Roman emperors that come back to back to back, and the church of Smyrna suffers greatly for it. For those of you that know your history, the first was Nero from 54 AD to 68 AD, all the way through Diocletian. He's the 10th emperor from 284 to 308 AD, all the way through. That's 251 years of suffering, 251 years of hell on earth to the church of Smyrna, and God had not one word of criticism to say about them. They were in the perfect world of God, and yet they had to go through something. So let me give you some illustrations of some suffering of God's people, because it's a subjective word. Christians in the first century, if anything went wrong in Rome, such as an earthquake, famine, or pestilence, Nero would claim that the Roman gods, little g, they were angry because people were becoming followers of Christ. If anything went wrong in Rome, the government blamed it on Christians. Nero, he, he, he saw the fires. He ordered Rome to be burned to the ground. And as a result of a torched earth, he ordered this massive burning of Rome. The fire lasted for nine days and nine nights. Four million people lost their homes. Tens of thousands of people were burned to death. And Nero blamed it on Christians. Nero wrapped Christians in oily rags. He hoisted them in the air. Why? He lit them a fire so he could see his rose garden at night. He also wrapped them in freshly killed animal skins. He turned them loose to be chased by packs of wild dogs who eat, ate them alive as they were running for their lives. About this same time, the Apostle Paul was crucified on June the 19th, 67 AD on the eastern gates of Rome. The Apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be hung on the cross like my Lord. Let's continue. The, the second pastor of Antioch, where they were first called Christians. Remember Antioch in the book? of Acts. It's where they were first called believers. Ignatius, the second pastor of Antioch, was where they were first called Christians. He was sent to the Roman Colosseum and fed to the lions there. His sin? His sin? He didn't have a coup for the Roman government. He confessed publicly that Jesus reigned in his heart. He just said, I'm a follower of Jesus. He stood in the center of this Roman Colosseum. The lions and tigers that were starved for three days, they charged him. And the historian Josephus says there was nothing left in that arena but two bloody bones. Consider Polycarp, the pastor about, called Smyrna, where God had not one word of criticism to say about him. He was taken at the age of 86. You can read all of this in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, or Jesus Freaks, a more modern translation. But he was taken by Roman soldiers at the age of 86. They put him in the middle of the public square, and they told him to pledge allegiance to Caesar, to pledge his allegiance to Caesar. And this 86-year-old man says, I can't. I cannot. I can only pledge allegiance to my Savior and Lord Jesus. I can only pledge allegiance to him. All they had to do back in those days to be left alone was throw incense in the fire in the town square and say, Lord Caesar. But this 86-year-old man had a lot more guts than many people in the 21st century. He says, I'm not. There's only one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
They started gathering the wood to burn him alive in the public square. And as they lit the fire toward his body, the historian Josephus again writes, it formed an arch around him that was silver and gold to the spectators that were there. And the executioner seeing that his body was not being burned by that fire, they commanded that he be thrust through with the Roman sword. And they put that sword through that man of God's body. And the blood that came out of his body hit the fire. And the fire died instantly. And they knew he was a man of God. Let me give you a final one. Perpetua, a young mother, she had an infant child. She was 22 years old. She would not bow to pagan gods. She would not say, Lord Caesar. She says, I'm a Christian. I cannot deny my love for Jesus. She was put in the center of this Roman Colosseum. She was stripped naked before 100,000 spectators. She was put in what we would call a cargo net today. And she was swung back and forth in the air in this cargo net. And at the end of the arena, there was a bull with big horns that had brass capped on the top of its horn. And those bulls charged that net again and again and again until there was nothing left in that net but bloody masses of bones and flesh. A hundred thousand spectators shouted for joy at all that. You say, well, Joey, what's the point? The point is sometimes we feel inadequate or persecuted or we feel like we didn't get what we wanted, so God must not be... He must be mad at me. He must be angry with me. He must not want. God's not starting to like you because you came to church this morning. I like you if you come to church. I, you're dead to me if you don't. But God's not starting to like you because you started to put things in order in your life and have self-help and be encouraged and be strengthened. God's already madly in love with you. He established it before the foundation of the world, before his son ever came to the earth. But sometimes, you know, they, you know, they just, they treat me at work. I'm not, a, I'm the only Christian in my work. Please, lukewarm at best. But Joey, I'm the only one in my home that's a Christian, and they don't do what I say. My kids, he's 50 years old. Kick him out. Okay, 47. He's still got to go. Well, Joey, I'm feeling persecuted because I'm not getting what I want. You little whiny hiney, you. Why don't you just take those dang pampers off, let the armor of God come on you, and attack this thing until the victory is yours. The enemy will tempt you. God brings the test on to empower you because he's the teacher, and he's given you every, every answer to the test right here in the Word of God. I want you to know that because we're not here to have everybody's love and everybody's approval. Jesus didn't, and you won't either. He said the world hated me, and it will hate you. He didn't have everybody's love and approval. Remember what the church said about Jesus. This is organized religion talking. He's a heretic. That means he's, he's, he's not doctrinally safe. He's a liar. He's a drunk. And he hangs around with sinners. How many of you know that doesn't look good on a pastor's resume? How would you like to come to Oasis today? Well, I drink every day and I'm doing this. I'd be like, mm, we might not, you might not be good here. What's the point? The Roman government said he's, he's too dangerous to live. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Was he in the perfect will of God to be sold by Judas? Absolutely. You have to have a Judas so you can have a resurrection. 
See, some of you don't realize sometimes a Judas comes in your life by divine providence of God to give you a great victory and a great breakthrough. Stop focusing on your Judas and focus on your Savior. Stop focusing on what didn't work out, what didn't go your way, who didn't stay in your life, who didn't come to your aid. Stop worrying about all those things you can't change and do what you can change. Be useful, be happy, honor God. He'll honor you. I love what Jesus did. He gave us three cheers. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcame the world. Be of good cheer. Your sins, they're already forgiven. You're not going to work your way into forgiveness. It's already been accomplished. Your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. What he was saying, in effect, is the days you're going to live with, they're going to have trials and tribulations. Things will try to bring fear upon you. But don't be a person that lives in fear. Switch on the faith button and let fear go out the door. I love that. I love that. Be of good cheer. I've overcame the world. Wasn't the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? He didn't write it from a penthouse overlooking the Galilee Sea. He wrote it from a dark, disease, rat-filled prison. And he said, we're perplexed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted in life, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down in life, but we're not destroyed. He says in another location, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the course. Hell has, this is my translation, hell has thrown everything in the kitchen sink at me and I'm still up on my feet, marching toward glory. That's the right attitude for a believer to have. But in closing, what causes bad attitudes to come to people that love the Lord? Bad choices. Bad choices will cause your attitude to go real fast because your attitude determines many times the choices that you're making. I think that's important because I think there's something to be said about our destiny. And our destiny, most of the time, swings on a hinge called decision. You choose the day what you're going to do. You choose you this day. Why why you're in church this morning? Because you're choosing to be filled with the right stuff to have a great week. And as a result of that, you will have a better week because you've come to the house of the Lord. So you're choosing that. You choose what you become. You choose what you become. When Jennifer told you about our oldest daughter going into high school, and Jennifer was giving her tips, you know, when I went to high school, and, you know, she's, uh, she was saying, when I went to high school back in 1952, no, it was like 2002. I, I'm sorry, Jen. No, I'm, I'm going to stay over here. I just was making jokes. Somebody offended me the other day and said, yo, dad jokes. I'm like, get out of here. These are jokes that can go on any stage in America. These are not dad jokes. These are good jokes. I was so offended. The dad jokes, like I'm just like a little peon. Just dad jokes. I'm like, I got jokes, brother. I'm looking at one right now. (laughs) See? You see how funny I am? See how that works? (laughs) But I think our choices are so important. We choose what we become. And she was telling our oldest daughter about high school and and, and then my youngest daughter said, well, Daddy, how was your high school? And I said, well, baby, Daddy never went to high school. I dropped out of the eighth grade. I got kicked out of junior high and went into an alternative school for six months. I dropped out of school. 
So I have no recollection of like high school friends and, and mates and there's no classroom union for me unless we talk about who come out of juvenile hall. I mean, that would be my upbringing. No dad in the home, no mom that would take care of us. And I could easily let that say, oh, you just don't know the trouble I've been through. You just don't know. I, I have no, and, and I said to the girls, I was, again, I'm, I'm a jokester. I'm a real good one. I said, it's amazing, girls, that your daddy can walk and chew gum at the same time. What I was saying, in effect, is I didn't let my past dictate to me. I dictated to my past, and I chose a different path. I didn't choose a path of destruction. I didn't choose a path to feel sorry for myself. I didn't choose a path to wail in a corner and say, woe is me. Nobody ever gave me a break. Come on, government, come and give me everything. I didn't choose to come to the church and say, church, give me everything. I chose to be a way maker. I chose to be an influencer. I said, God, if you're going to give me something to do, you're going to give me things to do it, I'm going to do it. And I tell you why that is so important, because as the mayor was there Tuesday night, he whispered in my ear, Joey, it's amazing what you and your church have done. He says, I'm overwhelmed. He says, this is the largest, I tell people all the time, in our city, we have one of the, if not the largest youth community centers in all of California because of all those kids that come. Not bad for a continuation school dropout, huh? What's the point? I don't know. I just thought that was fun to talk about. The point is our choices will dictate our lives, and we have to make choices that, that will determine our destiny not to look past on our history. Because a lot of times we make choices and we're predicated upon our past history, our past mistakes, our past failures, our past hurts, instead of making decisions, looking forward focused. That's what the apostle Paul said. He said, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching toward what lies ahead, press toward the mark of the high calling of the prize that's in Christ Jesus. That's why if you've been hurt, I say it respectfully, get over it. Have you been betrayed? Get over it. Are you, are, you, are you living in a place where the things haven't went your way? Get over it. Have you made mistakes? Get over it. Have you done things you're not proud of? Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. God is still on his throne and everything's going to be all right. So here's another thing that I think is so important that causes bad attitudes is an identity crisis. We have in America today an identity crisis there's an issue that's going on and it's not going to be legislated by politicians bringing new laws into place from gun control to health issues you name it it's not going to be healed and fixed by our politicians it will only be stoked with fires of divisions by our politicians us's and them's what we have in America and what we have in this room is an identity crisis not knowing who we are and whose we are. Because you see, friends, your authority is connected to your identity. Your authority is connected to your identity. You have to know who you are, but you also have to know whose you are. You don't belong to the government. Your children don't belong to the government. You belong to God, and you belong to the kingdom of God. And it's important to know that because you can't walk in that full authority and not knowing who you are until to discover whose you are. Without that, you'll draw back. You'll become, you'll become intimidated and fearful about anything the world throws at you, the enemy throws at you, and it will cause you to shrink back because you don't know who you 
are. It's like Israel. They didn't know that they were God's chosen because they had 430 years of slavery. 430 years of, of one slave master after another. And now God gives them this great promise. I'm going to take you to a land of more than enough. Houses you didn't build. Vineyards you didn't plant. Wells you didn't dig. And so here comes God's representative Moses and says, I've got God on my side. He's on our side. I've got a great report coming. I've got a great attitude for this next season. I want you to go scout out the land. Go tell me what's happening in our land. And have you ever heard these names of Shamanah, Shabbat, Igel, Hosea, Palti, Gadel, Gadi, Amonel, Sather, Nabi, or Gal. I didn't even pronounce their names right because I've never even read them. What's the point? That's 10 with the bad attitude. They get this amazing identity. You're my chosen people. You're mine. God says, I've established it through a covenant with your father Abraham. You are mine. But because of circumstances and situations and browbeating, they couldn't see what God wanted them to see. I told you 10 names. How about two names, Joshua and Caleb? How many of you heard those names? The reason those names are presentable and we name our kids those names is because those are the ones with the good attitudes that says we're well able to take this land. We're well able to go in there and take a beating to those Amalekites, Hittites, Termites, whatever other ites are in there. We'll go take them all on. And see, that's the key, your identity. If you live in a place of not knowing who you are and whose you are, you won't have authority. And God says, I've called you. A church doesn't call you. A man or a woman doesn't call you. A mom or a daddy can't call you. God calls you. And God calls you his very own, his very own. And the third thing as we close is we fail to see the big picture. We fail to see the big picture. We have bad attitudes because things don't go our way and life kind of throws us these curves and we don't, man, we just don't see it happening. We don't know how it's going to happen and, and we don't see a big picture. We don't see it. That's why the New Testament church was born in power. It was riot or it was revival. They were born in power. The New Testament church was literally born in this amazing power of Jesus. Power to raise the dead. Power to heal the sick. Power to cast out devils. Power. It was either revival or it was riot. But see, now we've got the, the 21st century church and they do not know their identity. They do not see the big picture. So their idea of revival, instead of getting in rhythm with God and what he wants to do, they think revival is, oh, we've got to repent. We're sourcing sinners. Oh, 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 we're just not sinners. Oh, repent. And God's saying, no, no, I'll, I'll get you to the place of freedom when you understand who you are and I've already called you. I'll clean you out. But when you remember who you are, oh, we just got to repent. Everybody's got to repent. Uh, 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 oh, sad sack religion. God says, I've already established the New Testament fire. I've already established the anointing of God. When you understand who you are and whose you, who's you are, you'll leave that old world alone. You'll leave sinning alone and you will get in rhythm with God, which is called revival. And you can't help but being the good news reporter everywhere you go. 
I'm just saying, sometimes I think we just get this thing backwards. We just really do get it backwards. And we have to see the big picture. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 14, it's not on the screen, but I have to read this to you. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried. And the people that night, they wept and all night. And the children of Israel, remember, the children of Israel are God's chosen people back then and today. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. That means they had a bad attitude. And the whole congregation said to them, you know, attitude is contagious. If you don't like something, it's easy to get somebody else not to like something. If somebody likes something, it's easy to get somebody else to like something. And I think it's important because if you have a bad attitude, it's contagious. If you have a good attitude, it's contagious also. Israel had a bad attitude. Everybody joined in with this attitude. And then they came against those who had a good attitude, Moses and Aaron. And the Bible goes on to say, if only we had died. Now they're proclaiming death. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Wait a second. Egypt was slavery. Egypt, their children were drowned in the Nile River. Egypt was a place where they had to get up and make bricks all day long, seven days a week without rest. They worked them to death. If only would have died in Egypt. If only would have died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should become victims. See, that victim mentality did not lead because their location left. And that's what happens with so many Christians. They become a believer again because it's by grace. You don't earn it. So they become born above, born again. But you have to choose to leave that victim mentality at the door. They become victims just like Israel. Were, were we not become victims? Would it have been better for us to return to Egypt? Oh my gosh. It's disgusting to read it, isn't it? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Friends, I'm here today to tell you, you'll always find somebody that will lead you down the wrong path. You will always find somebody, some naysayer, some negative Nelly that will always lead you down the wrong path. And that's so important because here's the thought. When given a choice, most people will choose the predictably bad over the uncertain good. It's true today as it was 3,500 years ago. You know when this was written? 3,500 years ago. Not three years ago, not 30 years ago, 3,500 years ago. Oh my gosh, when Israel preferred slavery over risk in the desert, people will prefer the hell over their predictable to the uncertainty of the future. Some people stay in relationships. Oh, he only beats me once a month now. Once is enough. He beats you one time. Now you, you, you beat him back. I'd get a big, fat, brass, or iron skillet. And when he's sleeping... I'd have his clothes pre-packed, pre-ranged. He only beats me once a month. Egypt. I only let them browbeat me every now and again. I only let them talk negative, Joey, when they're only talking about you. If they talk about me, they're talking about you. 
I only let them talk about the boss because we don't like the boss. Oh, they're talking about you too, boss lady. They're talking about you too, boss man. Because if that's in their spirit, it's only a matter of time before those fingers come back to you. And I'm telling you today, you have to make that decision to see the big picture. The Bible says all things work together for the good, for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. And I've learned a long time ago that nothing that I face as a believer works against me. But everything that I go through works for me because Joey Stillman loves God. And I'm called according to his purpose. And I know you are too. Can we stand together all over the room? As we stand to our feet and we bow our heads in the presence of God, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Joey, I'm going through a great trial. I've been, I've been having a bad attitude as a result of going through this trial, and I need an attitude adjustment today. If that's you with an honest hand raised to the Lord, would you do that for me today? You're going through a trial, and you just had a, you just had a bad attitude. Yes, some of you have both hands and a foot up. I get it. It's easy to have a bad attitude when things aren't going our way. And you're going through a situation today that may be a testing from God, or it may be a tempting from the enemy. Either way, it doesn't matter. Because how you will come out is what matters. Because if you pass the test with God, he'll take you to a new level. If you resist the devil with a good attitude, he'll flee from you. You see how that works? So no matter what, how that thing has come, whether it's a testing that God has allowed or a tempting from the enemy, you resist the enemy with a good attitude, he'll flee from you and you pass the test with God with a good attitude, he'll take you to new levels.